So we kind of have to like have a bit of a balance between having what we need on hand to treat our patients to the best of our abilities and making sure that we're still profitable and not overspending our inventory. So we really have to kind of learn where that balance is. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David Liss, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. We are so excited to have our super special guest, Nicole Claussen here with us today. Thank you, Nicole, so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I don't know you and have not met you, but David sang your praises when we were able to book this interview. So I would love to know more about you without having to read your bio. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? You have quite a bit of alphabet soup after that name of yours. (laughs) Sure. So I am a consultant for veterinarians and I just solely focus on inventory management. So I help veterinary practices and their teams learn how to manage inventory. Um, We talk about strategies strategies and confidence and all sorts of good stuff about that. Above and beyond that, I have spent the last, oh, I don't know, 14 years or so now in vet med. So it's kind of my home and just where I feel really the most comfortable. And I do also have another podcast, the Inventory Nation podcast. And I have four dogs at home. Tank is my great Pyrenees. If you have you kind of know about my company veterinary care logistics he's kind of all over the place i also so i have four dogs two rabbits and a cat so they keep me busy for sure lady right yes um and then as far as my alphabet soup so i have a couple different certifications the first is focusing on lean management and really striving to have the most efficient processes and continuous improvement. Then I also have another certification focusing on compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. And then, then the last one is the certified veterinary business leader. The CBBL. So, okay. Yeah, those are kind of my certifications there. And the CCGB. So the technical term of it is lean six Sigma, and then it's a green oh, yeah. belt. So that's yeah, kind yeah, of like okay. the technical term of it. Yes, fantastic. Well, you have uh, spent some time with her nose in a book there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Once or twice. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of like a forever learner type of thing. I just love to like learn and grow and improve and it just makes me, it's kind of like my happy place. So, Well, with saying that, what is your favorite book or podcast or CE or class, something that had a lasting effect on you? You know, it's not very like professional 
you know, oriented, but Brene Brown. Anything, yes. I think I watched, yes. yes. I, <laughs> <laughs> I watched her special on um, Netflix and I was hooked like immediately I was like like listening to every single word and I was just like normally I like have something in the background for background noise no uh-huh. when she came on I was like totally enthralled by her and just like that vulnerability is okay and it's safe and it's something to really strive for mm-hmm so I think I've really tried to be ever since watching that and I've like read all of her books, just being so intentional about vulnerable and open and like just really trying to be intentional about bringing that into my life. And I have to say, you know, she has a podcast, right? I know we talked about podcasts <laughs> earlier. Oh, yeah. I'm going to put podcast this. Podcast junkie I am. She's got one. I'm yes. going to put this intention out into the world that we get Brene Brown on this podcast. I, right. I think we may not be able to afford her, but I'm going to put that intention out there into <laughs> yes. the world. Yes. Get out there. Speak this it is loud. not the first time Absolutely. she's come up on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, her name is a frequent visitor. So, Nicole, you took on a specialty that is really interesting because it's really not a specialty for many people. There are HR certifications and your your Six Sigma stuff obviously is, as you said, process improvement. It's mm-hmm. not inventory specifically, obviously that applies to it, but you know, there isn't a veterinary inventory certification. So why inventory management for you personally? And then also, I mean, we know it's the second biggest expense that veterinarians deal with right on the P&L, but what is so important about it? Yeah, that's such a great question. I actually get asked that all the time, like, why in the world would you want to focus on inventory? Um, But I think I kind of, first and foremost, I kind of have the personality that really enjoys it. So I'm kind of type A, organized, and I love numbers and strategy. So you know, several years ago, well, more than several, I can't even remember how long, I had my very first inventory job. And the only training that I got was shake a bottle and it feels low, order it. And I remember that's saying, so veterinary medicine. Yeah, though, totally. Right? <laughs> totally. Yeah, that's how we do it. <laughs> and so I, here I am, this person who loves numbers and loves strategy and like really likes data. And I was like, no, but wait, like, what does low actually mean? And she couldn't like tell me and she was like no no no, you just shake and it feels low and I was like no 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 like I can't so (laughs) where's the line on the bottom that says low (laughs) right right like what does low actually mean and that was kind of where it all started so that was like the very first part of the journey and as I kind of continued down the path of inventory I realized that totally to your point David there is a significant lack of resources out there for managing inventory and you really feel alone as an inventory manager because you're the only one in the practice doing it. So right. true. Right. So, and it was kind of like I was developing these strategies in the practice and I was having really great success. And so I started helping other people outside of my practice and it was actually a, a quite a few industry reps who were like, you need to take this to the world. And so that's what I did. And I basically have like fallen in love with managing inventory and but above and beyond that, like the community that makes up, you know, the inventory managers of veterinary mm-hmm. medicine. Yeah. 
That's amazing. Yeah. They're just like such a group of incredible people. And there are so many instances where people, they want to do better. They want to learn. They want to grow, but they don't know how. And they're so they're super frustrated. They like can't take a day off because no one else can manage inventory. They're getting texts on their day off. And I'm like, <laughs> we like got to help medicine. with this. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so the, it just has totally become a passion of mine of not only to help them strategically to manage inventory better, but also to kind of like create and foster this environment where like inventory doesn't have to suck, basically. Like it can be <laughs> nice. good. I like it. I like it. <laughs> it doesn't have to suck. It usually does, but it doesn't right. have to. Yep. Yeah. So that's kind of why that's, you know, why I got started in inventory. But I think it's so important for a number of reasons. Like, David, you already mentioned the financial aspect of it, right? There's, but above that, it's like, we cannot practice medicine without inventory, right? So we, all we could do is like, listen to somebody's heart. And that's about it. Everything else involves inventory. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so, Yeah. So it's like, we have to like learn how to manage it well. And then it affects every single person on the team. If somebody is out of something, you know, people have a fit or our, our client service drops or, you know, we're losing money. And so it just really impacts every single aspect of a practice in different ways, but it kind of always comes back to, you know, manage the inventory in a smooth and efficient way because we have what we need on the shelf. We can care for our patients in the best way possible. We're not bleeding money. We can reinvest in our staff. We can grow our practices. There's so many exciting possibilities that I think that's why I also really love it because when you take a practice, they haven't really focused on inventory. We reduce their costs and they can really get excited about the possibility of investing and growing and it's just really exciting to see that. Let's dive into this a little bit. Tell me the difference between COGS and inventory. And I know they are not interchangeable, but we I feel like we use that word sometimes interchangeably. And then how and where do they intersect and interact? Totally. So COGS or cost of goods sold is kind of more of almost like a line on your balance sheet or your P&L, right? So that encompasses everything. We're talking reference lab, in-house lab, pharmaceuticals, diets, even cremation. So that's kind of all lumped in there. And it's kind of everything that's included in that category for tax purposes or financial analysis purposes. But inventory, when we talk about that, we're talking more kind of everything that's included in the cost of goods. But usually it talks about those physical things, right? Maybe not so much cremation, maybe not so much reference lab, although we do touch on that. But it's kind of like those pharmaceuticals and our white goods and our hospital supplies and the physical things that really need to be managed well. So tangible items in our practice on our shelves. Exactly. So it's kind of like cost of goods is like this big umbrella Mm -hmm. and then inventory is kind of like a little subsect of that if that makes sense and it's interesting too because if you think about raw accounting when you're looking at kind of more of like an accrual accounting type we do a lot of cash in veterinary medicine but still the idea the stuff sitting on your shelf that you can use to generate revenue inventory right it's an Mm -hmm. asset so yes. it doesn't show up on the PL, it's a balance right. sheet item. Mm-hmm. And but COGS is kind of that line item that says, you know, and it's always funny because it's such a weird probably 
old English term, like cost of goods sold, but it's basically like I have this thing, this bottle of amoxicillin that I can give to you that makes me get revenue, right? Like it yes. generates revenue, but because it's, um, you know, it's kind of a, like a flow, like it's like you buy this bottle now of amoxicillin, but I don't empty it for a year you know, you, you have to kind of think about how the COGS is expensed, right, over time. If you're doing accrual, you kind of match it with revenue. And so it is, it's this weird intangible thing. And you're totally right, too, that if you bring in an ultrasound person or you send out x-rays like or, you know, send out lab, that all is the expense related to how to generate revenue. So th- that was a great um, explanation of COGS and inventory. I think sometimes managers, even CVPMs get those two confused. So thank you. That's awesome. Yes, <laughs> of course. You know, when I was a manager i'm a regional director now have been a manager andrea's seen this i'm sure you've seen this you walk into a practice or it is your practice and there is five rooms full of dog food and there is oh yeah just five yeah exam rooms full i mean i'm talking you know revenue generating centers right um, and then you look through some of the injections and you pull, you, you look in the back and, oh, there's a bottle and you pull it and you like lick your finger and there's this like huge layer of dust on there and it's some <laughs> vitamin thing and you open up and it's been expired for 10 years, right? Um, or, the, you know, like you, you, you receive, you know, your inventory and it's a box full of Deramax. I'm talking 50 bottles of Deramax, right? So mm-hmm. why, Nicole, do practices stockpile? I mean, look, we're in a pandemic, right? I get it now, but yes. I don't get it, you know, five, uh, a year ago. We're not hoarding um, tissue paper now. <laughs> We've been exactly. hoarding Deramax for, for 20 oh, years. Totally. So why do practices stockpile? Why do, okay, so like, here's my thoughts about this, right? Why do they stockpile? Why do they keep 19 versions of NSAIDs, like nine different types of medications mm-hmm. and dog food they haven't sold in years. Like why do, why do practices do that? And then, you know, how do they work through that to have a much more efficient inventory? That is such a great question. And, you know, I have never seen stockpiled hospitals. Never, ever. Um, yeah, never, never. Sure. <laughs> yeah. No, never seen it. So I think it's, um, it goes back to kind of the why that that happens is it's a really, it's a scarcity mindset, right? I think sometimes when we're ordering or we're managing inventory, we're like, there is going to be a busload of giant Great Danes that all have GDV that's going to walk through this door like tomorrow, right? <laughs> And that's that happens, you know, all the time, right? All the time. All the time. <laughs> yes. So we're like, we kind of manage inventory with like this one weird off case that might one time have this one random thing that we might need, right? So I think that, I think yeah. that's really where it stems from. And then not really understanding like, I hear this all the time of, oh, we have this many on the shelf because this is just how... We, how we've always ordered. Always done it. Mm-hmm. You know, like <laughs> right. the crutch of vet med is like, this is the way it's always been done. So, you know, and I think thinking through it to see how much you're actually using or selling is the biggest fix for that right away, right? Because if we're thinking, oh, here is five exam rooms chocked full of dog food, first thing that we want to do is what is actually selling? What has been there since like 1997? Right. You know? So I think that's really where it gets started is just being comfortable with the data. How much are we selling? What are we not selling of? And just getting okay with 
we're never going to have a place where we have 100% of what we need at any given time always. Because if we have a 100% level of anything that we always need, if that makes sense, we're going to have some profitability problems because we have we are way overstocked. So we kind of have to like have a bit of a balance between having what we need on hand to treat our patients to the best of our abilities and making sure that we're still profitable and not overspending our inventory. So we really have to kind of learn where that balance is. That is and you mentioned data, Nicole, advice. where you said we can look at the data and see. So I'm assuming that what you mean by looking at that data is stuff that's coming from our PIMS, our practice mm-hmm. management software, where we can pull some data and extrapolate information as to what it is we're actually selling. So when yes. you refer to data, I assume that's what you mean, correct? Yes, because Mo- most, like 99.9% of practices, they have their PIMS, they use that software. Even if you don't manage inventory in your software, you still right. sell things yes. from your software. Yes, correct. So absolutely, people are like, oh, well, I don't use my system for inventory. That's okay. Doesn't matter. Right, right. exactly. Right. You can still run that usage report and see what is actually you know, being used there. So in the thought, the same train of thought of having this stockpile of stuff, I also hear a lot about these BOGOs, right? This mm. buy one, get one. So are those deals really worth it where you buy 10 cases of the latest flea control that's out in April and you get 10 you know, cases or cartons or whatever they are, boxes free, and that's supposed to last you, you know, all summer long, but really you're buying like two or three or five years worth of quantity, like that fleet control is going to be outdated and they're going to have five more new brand new products before you can sell all that. So talk to us a little bit about the, the BOGO deals and delayed billing and that type of thing. So it really depends if it's truly a a highly used product, right? So when we're thinking about promotions and deals and BOGOs, if it is a very popular product for your practice, yeah, it might actually be worth it. But if it's like something like, you know, an ear cleaner that you just need to buy 14 cases of it, that's kind of like, well, you know, I'm not really sure if that is going to be super helpful because in addition to the product costs, there's actually what's called indirect costs. So we have costs that are associated with ordering and holding this product on the shelf, right? So, you know, we talk about the the taxes that we have to pay on it, the insurance that we have to pay, um, you know, in the cost of keeping it on the shelf can a lot of times um, counteract any kind of discount that we got from those BOGO deals. And totally to your point, Andrea, if you are ordering and you don't understand how much you're actually truly using or selling, you could inadvertently buy five years worth of product you know, and have it sitting right. on the shelf for such yes. an extended period of time. And that goes yes. back to the knowing your data too, right? Mm-hmm. That goes all back to like, how much of this are you actually going to sell? Yes, exactly. Right. I think, you, you know, you were mentioning earlier about the scarcity mindset. It's got to be the same thing, right? That's that's why that that selling works, because it, it makes you think, if I don't grab this deal right now, I'm going to mm. lose. And we hate to lose as humans. Right. But if you just, it's kind of like the stock market or whatever, you take a minute and you think about it and you say, you know, is this a good deal? And and good deal does not mean you see 5% off and say that's a good deal. Good deal right. is... It's right. enough stuff we use. The basically the good deal, right, is my my you know my, what I'm going to sell it for 
you know, kind of with those indirect, as you mentioned, those costs factored in, if I'm profitable at X and that 5% off of the, you know, with the BOGO or, you know, or however it were, 50% off gets you more profit, not less, right? No, no erosion <laughs> of the margin, but more profit, then it makes sense. But if you add all those indirect costs in there and they're sitting there and you look, let's say you make, I don't know, $5 on, I'm making this up, but $5 on a flea tick carton and it's going to be $3 with the BOGO. No, right? You just lost $2 of profit, but you thought right. you were saving on the cogs or the expense of it, right? Totally. Um, so yeah, that may, that's wild, but thank you. That's that's super, super good advice. When you think about purchasing and buying, until you have sold it, it is literally just money sitting on the shelf. So it's a drain, when, totally. You have to see it like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. money tied up in exactly. your cash flow that's no exactly. longer cash. Exactly. Yeah. So like when you're looking at your pharmacy shelves or your dog food room or your central storage, just imagine all those things that are sitting there as actual dollar bills that are kind of like in little lock boxes that we don't That's get awesome. access to until it's actually sold. <laughs> and Love not it. your savings account, not yeah. your checking account. Right. right. Yes. That is awesome. Love it. So, and then another thing that you can kind of like think about that helps you when you're looking at these BOGO deals or promotions and David, this is to your point is, you know, thinking about, okay, what is my return on investment going to be? Mm -hmm. So if I sell these products over the next five years, that's probably, I'm not going to have a great return on investment. Right. So, (laughs) you know, long-term inventory here, people. (laughs) You know, we have like, you know, bags of food sitting on the shelf that have been there since like the dawn of time the clinic cat has like nibbled away at one of the bags like there's zero <laughs> return on investment there there's pee all over a bag yeah that makes total sense i mean this is bomb ass advice nicole i love it so here's a kind of related but two questions that i think i always want to know i always sit on the edge of my seat and i'm sure our listeners would want to know here it is ready one what the heck do i do about back orders (laughs) and two what do i do with all these darn expired products or how do i how do i prevent that not how to like return them to the epa right but like what do i do to prevent all this expired stuff on the shelf totally so those are some very great questions and questions that i get asked all the time So for backordered products, the biggest thing is communication when it comes to backorders, right? So I think when I understand and realize that I have a product that's coming down the pike or I know that's going to be backordered, there's a couple of things that you can do right off the bat, right? First is lean into your reps, to your distributor reps, your vendor reps, lean into them, find out about the backorders, see if there's an alternative product, um, you know, see if there's something else that you can do above and beyond that. So not hoard then? Not just like order 20 of them and hoard them? Yeah, it's actually- <laughs> and sell them to your friends at twice the cost. <laughs> yeah, there is that. And then I think it's also just like sometimes we get this rumor of a back order that could potentially be happening. This actually happened um, where and then this rumor kind of got started and then it spread very quickly and a ton of people bought it thinking it was going to go on back order. But it wasn't. But they actually caused a back order because they hoarded so much of it. No toilet paper. Got no toilet paper. <laughs> and I mean, I hate to jump in, but we see this all the time. I'm sure you guys are on all of these different Facebook groups, which are yeah. which are awesome. Mm-hmm. But you'll see that. Has anybody have a hard time getting diazepam tablets or something? And then and then you'll see a bunch Next of people day say, it's on back order everywhere. Yeah, like yes. it'll be like, no, I haven't had any issue. And then it'll be like, oh my god, is this going to issue? Oh my god, you got to call this person and get it from this pharmacy. And then it's like 50 threads of 
panic when maybe it happened to be Midwest that was running low or just Covetris, right? And everybody else had it. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, totally on that note, I am actually the founder of the Facebook group called the Veterinary Inventory Management Group. And so I'm sure, as you know, questions like that get posted all the time. And sometimes I kind of have to like pump the brakes. I'm like, okay, just because it says it's on back order on your distributor's website, that could just be back ordered for your particular warehouse, right? So they only show availability for your specific warehouse. So it's like, maybe it might show back order, but maybe it's not actually. And so it's like, we have to make sure that we address and make sure that things are actually going about going on back order so we don't cause back orders if that makes sense so it's back to the communication though right it's just yeah. making sure like you said you're reaching out to your reps and really confirming that like is this going to be an issue or you know is it truly is an issue or not yeah and then once we've kind of okay this is an actual back order we really aren't going to get this on um you know it's how do we communicate this effectively to our team so they're not frustrated right because there's nothing that we can do about back orders Unfortunately, we can't make this stuff in our bathtub. So <laughs> I wish we could. Right? I know, right? Are you sure? <laughs> We'd be rich. <laughs> right. There is some I, compounding, you know, things I've heard of. Right. So it's like, okay. This is not so, breaking bad, okay? Right. <laughs> <laughs> be like retired in Hawaii by now I'm sure right right exactly (laughs) so you know it's like maybe making a label where that product normally lives to say hey this is on back order here's the ATA in the meantime here's an alternative product you can set alerts on products in your software so if somebody goes to you know dispense that it's on back order it brings up an alert that says hey this is on back order here's the ETA here's alternative product whatever your kind of communication style that your practice culture Um, supports, finding that way to communicate that information effectively so that people, A, know what's going on, B, they know what to expect, and C, that it's not your fault, right? You're like, oh, you suck at your job because you didn't order this. Well, no, actually, it's on back order and no one can get it. Right. Yeah. Are some, the FDA actually has like a short... Um, like a product shortage list. Sometimes it's a hit or a miss for animal health products, but there is that resource. Um, and VetCove, they actually have an availability tracker. So if you are a VetCove user, if a product's on back order, you can actually set up back order alerts for that particular product that you get um, an alert as soon as it comes off back order. So there's kind of some little strategies that we can work with because I know back orders, I, they've, probably the worst that they've ever seen them in the last especially this last year but the last couple of years especially have been horrible so and can you share the fda you said there was an fda source yes resource. it's called the fda drug shortages um so if you just google um fda drug shortage list it'll bring that up um then you can search for it you can view all awesome. the things okay perfect thank you of course um and then so expired products expired products and how we deal with those really goes back to again is like understand our usage right if we are having a bunch of stuff expiring we're probably ordering that too much with the exception of like emergencies things or something like that my actual favorite way of managing um, expired products and kind of 
uh, monitoring those is very low tech, but I actually use those garage sale stickers. So red, you know, is going to expire in 2021. Yellow is going to oh, expire right. in 2022 yeah. and so forth. And then you write the month that they're going to expire right on there. And then when you're looking at your pharmacy, you're like, oh, this is a red dot. It's going right. to expire it's soon. It's got to go soon. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I will give you one note that I learned. Just a helpful hint. Um, some of the distributors will take back expired products. So what I learned was putting those stickers on, I had to put them on the actual bottle so I could peel that sticker off because if I put them on the label, it would peel the label off and then they wouldn't take them. Oh, yes. So I always had to make sure I put them like either on the lid or on the bottom or somewhere where it's like just directly on the plastic or the glass, I guess, if it was glass just so that I could take those Mm, little stickers off. That's a good tip. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Make sure that you can kind of peel those back off. And then when you're like three months out and those are about to expire, you know, contact your rep and see if they will take those back. If you can get credit and then think about, do I actually need to carry this product if it's expiring this frequently? Right, exactly. What are the three common, most common mistakes that you see in practices? And can you give a quick fix to those? Yes. So first common mistake is not understanding your usage, right? Because that's really where we really start to get tripped up by having way too much on stock. Our cost of goods start really soaring out of control. We have expired stuff and it just really snowballs into a hot mess. So it's, you know, going back to getting comfortable with that data, how much you're using, how much you're selling. And if you don't know um, how to kind of find that information, there's a lot of resources out there and I'm always happy to help. I'm always happy to answer questions. So the next fantastic most yeah. common mistake is I think just really not getting enough time to manage it well, right? Sometimes as an inventory manager we're given like you know 4 minutes to place an order on the fly. Amen, sister. <laughs> <laughs> right, cuz you are literally You're gonna make it up on the phone. Doing CPR, doing a scaling the teeth, having to take a phone call you know, literally throwing a bottle of amoxicillin on the shelf, right? And calling back or, you know, calling Covetra's like, please get me a bottle of Dizabam, my doctor's out. Like, that's what managers do, right? That's our day, every day. Yes, right. <laughs> yes. And so I think really advocating for yourself and your practice to say, hey, I really need this dedicated inventory time, even if it's 20 minutes or 30 minutes, you know, even just a little bit of dedicated time so you can focus and be really intentional about what you're ordering. You know, like you can have a different scrub top that's like super crazy and wacky you can wear like a safety shirt or something like that so when you're like okay when i'm in my safety shirt this is my inventory time don't interrupt me nobody can talk to me (laughs) totally i use the caution sticker i'd like put a caution sticker on and be like leave me alone Uh, we'll get your your hand bit (laughs) that's perfect (laughs) and i think um the third kind of common mistake is not leaning on the tools that you have already in your practice, right? Our practice management systems are super expensive. And they, I mean, some are not fantastic, but most have some built in kind of systems to help you manage inventory. And so just kind of learning how to do those and making sure that we're increasing our prices. You know, I don't know how many times that I've come across practices where they don't ever increase the cost of their item. And then all of a sudden they, yeah. So all of a sudden this item is priced lower than the actual cost of that item. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. Right. Losing money. Yes. Oh. And so it's like we have to think about our distributors and the manufacturers and the vendors. They raise prices at least yearly, right? So it's like we have yes, to follow we see suit this frequently, don't we? And yeah, protect sure. our profit margins. Yeah. So I think those are probably oh my, my three biggies. That is awesome. Nicole, you are just an absolute wealth of knowledge. Oh. I love it. Um, and we can tell this is your thing. Like you just, I mean, the, like, the passion just exudes. Yeah. It's great. Absolutely. I'm a practice manager and I am managing the second most expensive asset or expense uh, in the practice. You mm-hmm. know, if it's a million dollar practice, you know, I don't want 20%. So that's two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars $300,000 of inventory that's flowing through every year, right? Yeah. Um, I'm just making these numbers up, but that's, you know, ideal. So are you a budget fan? And, you know, if you are, um, I'm, you know, kind of setting the stage for you to help our listeners how to set up an inventory budget. So I don't see P&Ls, so I can't really see what COGS is. I do obviously do, um, you know, I receive the invoices and I will, you know, maybe put them into QuickBooks and whatnot, but I'm, I'm not like doing the taxes and the high-level financial management. So I know what, uh, you know, amoxicillin costs and convenient costs and side point costs. And so if you are a budget fan, how does somebody that, you know, doesn't kind of see the quote-unquote books, he doesn't see the financials, but has access to inventory costs, and also, of course, the practice management system for what we're charging, develop some sort of a budget, right? So, and I, you know, obviously, you're not putting, you know, lab expense or radiology expense in there, but, you know, pills and tablets and parasiticides and food, like, they're all portions of what you spend. Like, how do you even start creating something? And then once you have it, how would you use it to project what you need next month, next year, you know, five years from now? Like, how do you use them? Yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, I could probably talk for budgets for forever, but so I'll kind of keep it brief. But <laughs> I am a big fan of a budget. Think of, I always think about this, right? If you have like your, like you mentioned, a multi-million dollar practice, you probably see hundreds of thousands of inventory dollars move in and out of the practice every single year. If you have a $10 million practice or you know more, you are probably managing millions of dollars worth of inventory every year. You need a budget. And I always think about like, okay, th- think about like lanes, like a bowling lane, right? A budget is like those little gutters that come up that keep us kind of like in line and making sure that we are- the little bumpers right Yes, there. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's what a budget is for me. But a budget is only as helpful if we're actually using it and it's realistic to the practice, right? So we can talk about budgets all day, but if they aren't actually getting used, it's not super helpful. So how you can kind of start to use those, the best budget, honestly, is going to be one that you do have that revenue data. And so you understand, you know, what your revenue is and what your costs are. And because you can kind of make that cost as a percentage of revenue, right? That's where that really comes into play. So that's going to be the best one. And you can look at and say, okay, this is my average revenue over the last three years. This was my average inventory spend. And you can kind of break it down from there. If you don't have access to that data, though, you can kind of look at your purchase history. But again, it's kind of, you know, we want to look at it in lens, like in the lens of our revenue percentage. So really making sure if you don't have access to that, you're not going to be given access to that, you can look at it in terms of like, okay, I want to make sure that I'm keeping X number of weeks or days of inventory on the shelf and kind of use your inventory budget to say, okay, I'm not going to go over this and try to streamline it that way. I'm not really sure if that makes sense. 
Yeah, you can still go off of what you've sold and say, you know, like you can still look in your PIMS and it, like, go back to that data, right? And look at data and say, yes. okay, this is how much I've sold in a month or six months or two months, or this is how much I sold last summer or last winter. Mm-hmm. So you, even if you don't have an actual figure or percentages or you, you don't actually have a budget, you can still say, you know, last summer we used you know, 10 bottles of, of Apoquil for the whole summer of this one particular size. So I'm going to make sure I have 10 for this summer. Yeah. You can still do something to help stay within those lanes. Like you talked about in that bowling lane and have, you know, those bumpers kind of guide you down. Totally. Yeah. And I think if you don't have a budget and you're not getting access to that information, advocate for yourself because really it benefits the practice, you know? So uh, first and foremost, just advocate for that because that's really going to make a huge positive impact on your practice. Absolutely. So you mentioned it a few minutes ago before when you were chatting about Vet Cove. Mm-hmm. So tell me if you think Vet Cove is really worth it. And then what about the little guy? Like I know reps, um, you know, I, I love my reps. I talk to them frequently. They help me in so many different ways. And I know it can impact not necessarily my personal relationship with them, but it can impact the reps because I know some of that kind of takes away from them and what they're what they're allowed to do for practices financially to help support practices. So tell me a little bit about Vetcove and, and what about the little guy? Totally. So Vetcove, I think is a thousand percent worth it. So if you are listening and you haven't heard of Vetcove, what it is, is it's basically like kayak.com or expedia.com, but for veterinary supplies. So it syncs all of your distributors into one place. So you can view the prices all in one spot for, and you can also view your availability across all distributors. So it can be a very helpful tool to make sure that you are overpaying because products can, are called variable price products. And so, you know, maybe a bottle of amoxicillin, let's just say from one distributor, it can be $2, but from another distributor, it could be $18. And Mm -hmm. so unless we're kind of verifying that we are, we could potentially be overspending. Right. Now, with that being said, your relationship with your reps is a huge important relationship as an inventory yes. manager. So we don't want to discount that. So if you're making, there are things there. So there's two ways that products can be priced, right? So we have fixed products and variable price products. Fixed products don't change. The the price does not change no matter who you purchase it from. So can you give us an example of that? Yes. Flea, tick and heartworm prevention, um, vaccines, usually anything okay. that has like a big brand name, right? No matter who you buy Denimarin from, it's going to be the same the board, price. It's going to be the same. Exactly. Right? So uh, my recommendation is use Vetco for those variable price products, but for those fixed price products that don't change, use your favorite distributor and that distributor that you love and have a really great relationship with, buy your equipment from them, buy those really expensive products from them, um, you know, and really, because they do a lot to, you know, help you. So it's like, yes. it's we want it to be a mutually beneficial relationship. Yes, absolutely. We still want to nurture those relationships whenever we possibly can. Exactly. So... We on the podcast really want our listeners to be able to take away something or, you know, a couple things that they're going to do tomorrow. And I literally mean that like the moment they wake uh, wake up, they're going to take care of this. So what are like one or really two solid habits 
Nicole, that our listeners, you know, if they don't already have them, or maybe even, you know, could be one for somebody who has no inventory management and one who's already doing mediocre to advanced inventory management, Mm -hmm. that they could do tomorrow, good habits and things that they could take away and implement that would improve their um, inventory. So I would say, if you are kind of new to inventory, check your expired products. That's something that you can do literally tomorrow. See if you have anything expired on the shelf. I think that's a really great place to start. And then on that, while you're doing that, see if you have like one item in like eight different areas of the practice, right? Maybe it's like an exam room (laughs) and the lobby and central storage and la la la. Get it all together combined. So I think that's a really good place to start. Second thing is start understanding your usage, what you're using and you're selling and kind of like keep in your back of your mind to not think, oh, we keep two bottles on the shelf because we always have. No, 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 no. Right. We don't want to be doing that anymore. Look at your usage and say, actually, I use, see, here's a really great example. There was like a really expensive injectable and they're like, oh, we keep three bottles on the shelf at any time. And I said, okay, cool. So where did that come from? And they're like, well, we just always have. And I was like, okay, let's look at your usage. And in one month time, they only sold like just under three mils. So they basically had 30 mils on the shelf, but they only used three mils at a time. And so I'm like, that three bottles is a 10 month supply. So I think that's turn that over a little bit quicker. Yes, exactly. So I think and then adding and reorder tags and like reorder point, that's kind of like a whole big can of worms yes but there's definitely some things that you can do today that'll make a positive impact on your inventory if you could give just one piece of advice to our listeners what would it be and why that be open to change and be open to um, being innovative. And when you feel stuck, always remember there is seriously a world of possibility in veterinary medicine and beyond our industry. So, you know, if you're like, ah, oh, we've always done our inventory this way, you know, like right. the biggest piece yeah. of advice I have is there Good probably, yes, there probably is a better way. And there's a lot of yeah. people there who are really passionate about helping you find that better way. And you've mentioned that several times, like throughout, you know, our talk was, you're an inventory specialist, you have a podcast, we have all these different Facebook groups. I mean, there's there's so many resources that managers can go to. They can go their reps, they can talk to colleagues. You know, mm-hmm. there's so many different uh, resources that managers can use to help get them going and started. And although it can seem like sometimes a really daunting task to get your inventory under control. Like how do you eat an elephant? You know, just one bite at a time, just one phone call at a time, call your rep, call a colleague, call you, listen to your podcast, right? There's all these different things that we can do to say, just, you know, nibble away at that elephant and and don't feel so overwhelmed. Yeah, exactly. Because really that once we start making those little tiny baby steps of progress, it starts to snowball and all of a sudden that momentum is going and you're making so much more progress than you ever thought was possible. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So we have this fabulous idea of, and this notion I've talked with my colleagues, plenty of my colleagues about several times of these things that happen in veterinary medicine that are just mind boggling, that leave our like eyeballs popping out of our head like pugs and our chin hitting the ground like no way this literally just happened. Shut the front door. Check this out. (laughs) And so, you know, you just, you cannot make this shit up. It, it, it really did happen. Like, believe it or not, 
Ripley's kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So Nicole, if in your all of your experience as a as a consultant and a practice manager and everything that you've done, can you share a story with us? Of course, names change, protect the innocent. But can you share a story with us where that left you just like no way you cannot make this shit up? <laughs> that is a great question, and I have a lot of stories. But I think the biggest holy buckets moments come from controlled substances and the lengths that people will go to get a hold of controlled substances when they shouldn't have them so um there was one story of i was on site working with this practice they got a new application and i was like okay i was like helping them walk through the process and i was like okay let's call references turns out they had totally and completely lied they had no vet experience and they had previous controlled substance like juju on their record and so basically they were just applying to get access to the controlled substances wow yeah and so i mean i have like multitude like stories upon stories upon stories i've also seen stuff that's like been expired since like 1980s um like (laughs) so i mean like i could really seriously go on but i think the biggest crazy things that come down to are like controlled substances and just make sure that you have those locked up all right nicole are you ready for our world famous rapid fire section of the podcast i am bring it all right tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact Mm. Not seeing my grandpa often enough. Um, He passed away a number of years ago, and I miss him every single day. Aww. Tell me about your proudest moment. Um, Starting veterinary care logistics and just my very first client's feedback about how I impacted their life and their practice. It just, it was my shining moment. Nice. Heartwarming. Why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession? Oh, hands down the people, the spirit, the creativity, just the incredible, amazing, resilient, compassionate, kind people that you meet. You meet. I like, you can't get that outside of vet med. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience kind of manage your guilt in that process of not working uh, in, a, in a specific practice? So I actually don't really strive for work-life balance, but work-life integration. I absolutely love what I do. And it fulfills me beyond what I could ever have hoped for. So I kind of think like, how can my life support my work? And how can my work support my life? So I don't try to keep them separate, because they truly are integrated. I love that integration instead of balance. That's awesome. Like mic drop right there. (laughs) So what keeps you up at night, things that you stress out over or things that cause you anxiety as a consultant, practice manager, inventory manager, you know, all around amazing veterinary person. So I think the biggest thing that keeps me up at night is just thinking, am I serving my clients and the vet med community to the best of my ability and just making sure that I am being a positive influence on those around me. What gets you up in the morning? Oh, work for sure. Like I am so excited to like, I don't even consider it like work, but I'm just like so excited to like get up and like talk to people and hear their stories and help them. I just love being a helper basically is what it comes down to. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was great to hear you and learn more about you and have you on and have you share your knowledge with us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I truly, truly appreciate it. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. 
We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. Social media management and website design by Dog Days Consultant. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrew Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.